So today is Palm Sunday. And you might be thinking, well, so what? Uh, is, it, is it one of the big holidays that we have in our calendar? Maybe not, not really. Uh, for some other Christian traditions, it is. In some Pacifica communities, for instance, uh, Palm Sunday, or sometimes as they call it, Fa'amalo, um, is Kids Sunday. And the children are able to come forward and each one of them gives a, a different speech and, and shares a little bit about a testimony. And it's, it's a wonderful day of pride for the family that the children are coming forward and sharing this. And why is it children? <clears throat> one of the things that I find fascinating about the missionary movement in the Pacific Islands is the way in which different terms kind of were not completely understood in what they meant, but then went on to pick up these wonderful and beautiful traditions And it's because an old translation talked about how it was the children of Israel who welcomed Jesus into Jerusalem. Don't you love that? I love that. I love the notion and the idea that as Jesus enters Jerusalem, and remember, this was a bittersweet moment for Christ. He's coming into the city knowing that he is preparing to go to the cross. And yet this translation had in the image of those who were listening, small children carrying palm fronds and cloths and placing them before the Messiah. What a moving thing. What a, what a wonderful connection to make, albeit not that accurate. And I think there's something in it for what we need to hear as a people of God. For what we need to understand as 21st century missionaries and disciples of Christ. And that is that all of us, whether we've been in Sunday school since we were little kids, or whether we're just recent and new to the faith, we all have to come to Christ as children. We all have to come with that heart of openness, of unashamedness, and be ready to come and speak. Come and connect with our Lord and God. So with that said, I'm going to unpack a little bit of the Hosanna story for you today. So that you can understand it. And hopefully from here, as you go out into the world, into your families, into your lives. Not school anymore, am I right, moms and dads? Thanks, buddy. At least for the next couple of weeks, not school. Yes, I'm really looking forward to that. But... Whatever you find yourself doing over the next week, as we are preparing our minds for Easter, let us hold on to that Hosanna and understand it and go through it. So let us pray and commit this time together to the Lord. Father, be among us, be with us, bless us. Help us understand what it means to worship and praise your name. Speak to us in this moment, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we see this word Hosanna appear in this beautiful psalm. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice and be glad. Hosanna. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. Now, I can see a few of you are going, wait, hang on a minute. I don't 
I don't see Hosanna there. You're right. Because that's what it is in the original language. And that is that phrase that stands on its own. We need three words to say it. Okay? Are you ready? I'm going to get you to say it. One, two, three. Lord, save us. We need those three words to say it. All right, now, that was a little bit messy, so I'm going to get you to do it again. Ready? One, two, three. Lord, save us. That's it. And in the Hebrew language, they only needed that one word, Hosanna. Hosanna. And that's what we're going to unpack a little bit of today. Now, friends, when we think about this verse, who do we think about? We think about Jesus. Who was the stone that the builders rejected? Jesus. Who has done that which is made marvelous in our eyes? Jesus. The marvel is this, that he could die on a cross and on the third day be resurrected. Not for his sake, not because he was so good. He was, don't get me wrong, but because of us, for us, for our sake. That is marvelous. In fact, the original language way back in the old pre-King James Version would have said it was awful. Meaning full of awe, of course. (laughs) That's what the word originally meant. And I like that. I want, to, I want to say to you that it was, it was awful in the sense that Christ, it's awful that Christ had to go on the cross for our sins. But it was awe-inspiring that He came down from there and then brought us our salvation. Is it any wonder that they were saying these words? A reminder pointing back to this psalm as Christ entered into the city. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord and from the house of the Lord, from Zion. We bless you. These allusions are what we've been talking about for the last month as we've, we've looked at the prophecies that point to the cross that help us understand the role that Christ played in fulfilling that perfect narrative that God has for us. Because that narrative is still at work today. The marvelous work is still at work right now in your lives and in mine. This is why we are reminded to celebrate Easter each year because God's work is ongoing. So what's the word? This is how it is in the original language. Koshana. Koshana. Sorry. <laughs> Do you want to try to say that? No, it's okay. Sorry. <laughs> Lord, save us. We could say that one. But it is three participles. It comes together in this way in the Greek Bibles. This word entered the English language and many other languages. Because when they were reading the Greek Bibles, this word is not in Greek. And so they didn't understand. Where, where is this word coming from? We don't understand. Where, what's the root of it? It was, it was a phrase that they were saying, but they didn't really have that connotation, that understanding. And so this word was left as it is in the Gospels. And it entered all of our languages. And, and, and it's, it's like, hallelujah. You know, we, we use it. I, I remember I was... I was 
at the petrol station, I think it was, and the pump wasn't going. And, um, and so I had to ask the attendant. And he came along, and then when it got going, he said, oh, hallelujah, it's working. And I wonder if he actually meant to say, praise the Lord. I wonder if he actually understood that. Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure he was South Indian, so I don't know if that's what he intended. But hallelujah means praise the Lord. And Hosanna is one of these words that's just entered our vernacular to come to mean that. Parsed out, it says, may you deliver us. It is a polite courtesy petition that then has with it this word deliverance. And I like deliverance as a way of understanding salvation. Because salvation is almost like I'm being chased and then somebody comes behind me and stops the ones who are chasing me, doesn't it? But deliverance is more like I'm in a pit and then somebody has pulled me out. That is the notion that I get from this word. And I wanted to share that with you today because I wanted to say to you that there's a lot of people in this world who are in pits right now. Pits of despair. Pits of pain. Pits where they find themselves of no fault of their own. But sometimes pits of our own making. And I think we need to see Hosanna moments in these people's lives. I think we need to pray for God to deliver them from that situation. Because if you're being chased by someone and that persecution stops, you can keep on running and not be aware that they've stopped chasing you. But when you're out of the pit and in the light, you know. This, this is what Christ has promised the world. This is what Christ has promised all those who are to call on Him as Lord and Savior. Another instance, instance we find this word is in 2 Samuel. In the midst of the war between King David and King Saul, a war which was not of David's design. In fact, he was being persecuted, but Israel had divided. They had, they had separated themselves into two factions. And they were going to war against one another because of these two big men in their society. And David was saying, no, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. That's not what I'm about. And Saul was egging them on. Yes, please, please find this guy, David, and kill him. Get rid of him. In 2 Samuel, an old prophet Samuel lived far beyond his years at this stage, ready to see Israel become the nation that God had promised. He records these words as he spoke to the people of Israel. Now make David king. For the Lord promised David by my servant David, I will hosanna my people Israel from the hand of the Philistines and from the hand of all their enemies. Friends, the Philistines were not chasing Israel down. They had surrounded Israel. They had closed the cities. They had closed the trade routes. They were oppressing them with a campaign of attrition. And Israel was starving. Israel was in, in dire straits and difficulty. 
Their young men were going out into the battlefield and all that was coming back were empty shields. When we say Hosanna, that is the kind of enemy we're asking to be saved from. And I would equate the Philistines to so many different things in our world today that oppress us, that come around us, that starve us of hope, of joy, of justice, of dignity. And I say to you today, and I invite you to say it with me, Hosanna! God, save us from those things. Because we know we cannot. By the work and the labor of our own hands, we cannot. This is a turning point in the story of David. Not long after this, he is made king. The sad part of that story is that within a few chapters, David's own sin causes him to fail the children of Israel. Because friends, when we put our hopes on big men or or big women or exemplary human figures, we often find when we scratch the surface, there's not much left. As I was sharing with my friend earlier, up until recently, I was a Broncos supporter. Never meet your heroes, friends. But in all seriousness, we know that God, through Christ, the perfect sacrifice for our sins, we can call for that hope. We can hope without that thinking and that knowledge that maybe this will fail because the hope in Him is perfect for He has promised to do great and wonderful things. In Luke 1, we see uh, this come about as the people rejoice. My apologies. In Luke 1, we see this come about as Zechariah. Zechariah? Yes. As he begins to prophesy. The father of John the Baptist. He had been made mute by the angel because he did not believe. They come and say to him, what's your son's name? And he says, his name will be John. And upon that proclamation, he begins to prophesy uncontrollably (coughs) out of his own heart of joy and worship. Prophecy rung out. And part of this prophecy was, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel. He has come to his people. He has redeemed them. He has raised up a head of salvation. The word horn here actually means head. For us in the house of his servant David. Salvation, deliverance from our enemies and from the hands of all who hate us. Zechariah was not prophesying about his son. But he knew that his son was a milestone, a marker on the road for the one who was to come. And didn't John the Baptist say those beautiful words? Behold, the Lamb of God who has come to save the world. This is the role that Christ was meant to play. I wasn't too sure about mentioning this today because I'm conscious we have communion and It's a bit of a warm one, and I didn't want to keep you in the house for too long. But you know that second part of Jesus' name? 
Yeshua. It comes from this word as well. The one who will save. It wasn't just his name. It was his title. But beyond that, it was his vocation and privilege. You see, the narrative, the great narrative of our Lord from Genesis through to Micah is one where he loved his people and his people failed him. And if this is hitting you here today, I want you to know that that's because God loves you. And where we fail Him, He continues to love us. And that love had no greater expression than the cross of Jesus Christ. But as it was expressed in the, in the love, in the cross, it was realized, it was made true and fulfilled in the empty tomb. And now we live in that wonderful post-resurrection era. We don't need to have the sacrifice of goats and lambs and heifers. We can come before God Almighty all on our own, knowing that it was Christ who paid the price first. But I ask you, I charge you, dear friends, in this Easter season, do we do that enough? I don't think so. I believe in the power that there is of life and death in the tongue. And I believe that if we declare things to be bad, they will be bad. And if we declare them to be good, they will be good. Not just from an optimistic point of view, but from that understanding that God's hope from within us can cause that which we declare to come to pass. And within that, I invite you to declare Hosanna over your lives. Hosanna over that which is oppressing you. Hosanna over those things that you feel you have no control over. Let us be a people who go back to that loving God and say, Lord, deliver us. Lord, save us. And I believe if we did that as a society, as a community, we would begin to see God doing great things among us. I had a great friend. Uh, he's, still, he's still a friend. <laughs> he's, a, he's now a Facebook friend because I don't see him very often. But <laughs> a Mexican pastor. And he used to say this, and I'll never forget. He used to say, the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He goes where he's invited. Well, when we say Hosanna, we're inviting the Holy Spirit into each of these spaces. I want to conclude with these words from 1 Corinthians 15, 24 to 26. Christ is first, then those with him at his coming, the grand consummation, when after crushing the opposition, he hands over his kingdom to God the Father. He won't let up until the very last enemy is down and the very last enemy is death. As I said before, Yeshua, Savior, is not only Jesus' name, it is his title, it is his privilege. But I love the fact that in Corinthians, and as the school of Paul understood it and then was shared in the book of Revelation for all of Christianity to see, Christ will take that privilege and then hand it over to the Father. You see, friends, that is what a person who loves actually does. They are generous in their sacrifice. They are generous in their love. In our society, we equate generosity with what? 
Money. In this same chapter, he says money is the root of all evil. Generosity should not just be about that. It should be about the generosity of time. The generosity of compassion. The generosity of, dare I say, justice. But above all, dear friends, didn't he say the greatest of these is love? The generosity of love. If we have the love of God in our hearts, can I charge you, please don't. Don't hold it. Don't hold it just for yourself. Let everyone know. Let everyone see it. Let everyone experience it. Let this Easter season be a season in which we give that in love, knowing that God, through Jesus Christ, has given us deliverance in love. And knowing that Christ, as our exemplar, gives that back to God the Father in love and sacrifice. I encourage you now to bow your heads with me as we spend a moment in communion with our Lord, praying. Father, I thank you for you are here, for your Holy Spirit hears and connects with all of these things. Bless us with a deeper understanding of your love and equip us that we may share it broadly and about. Speak to us. May we know you. May we connect with you. May we see and understand the legacy of your love and your son who gave his life for us in that love. And in our dark moments, in the pits of our lives, we, we, may we be reminded to call out to you, to call upon our Lord, Hosanna. So we thank you for this moment in Jesus' name. And the people of God said, Amen.